Hey, I'm Ryan. I've managed products at innovative companies like Weebly and Verb, and now I run my own. Each episode, I talk with product managers at some of the most successful companies in the world to learn how they do customer research, gather insights, and make the product decisions for both their customers and company. You'll get real world advice on how to ship products people want and love. Now let's get into people-driven products. Welcome, Laura. Thanks so much for joining us today. You've been building products and leading product teams for over 20 years, so we're so thrilled to have you on the show. Can you get us started by sharing a little bit about your professional journey, what led you to the Chief Product Officer at TrueCord, and what you do there? Thanks, Ryan. I'm excited to be here. I'm always happy to talk about products. My journey has been a long one and probably not very typical one. I actually started as a civil engineer. I came to Stanford as a civil engineer and worked for nine years developing software for reservoir operations and hydrologic simulation. But at that point, I realized that I really liked software, but I wanted to be in the software industry. So I went back to school, got a master's in management science and engineering and moved into the software industry. And I knew that even though I had been developing software, I didn't want to be a programmer. I wanted to be close to the product, but to the business as well. And back then, product management wasn't very well understood, but that's that's what I wanted to do. So I jumped into the software industry and for my first I would say my first period, and I worked at SAP, I worked at Nuance, I was acquired by Microsoft. That period was very formative because I had the fortune of working in companies where the discipline of product management was pretty well understood. And I had great managers, great mentors where I learned a lot of the process. And so for Several years, I started building my career, started as an associate product manager, moved into senior director of product management. And at that point, I realized that I was very interested in, first of all, moving to companies that were really in this growth stage, that were a bit past the product market fit, but getting into this exciting growth stage. And I also realized I wanted to truly be part of the executive team where I would have more of a voice around how to direct product. And so I was fortunate enough to had an opportunity to move to be the VP of product at a company that actually did software for the legal industry. And when I joined, it was 90 person company And in four years, we had uh, moved to 500 people. We had more than tripled the number of products, quadrupled revenue. We had made some acquisitions. It was a really exciting period of really, how do you move from having a niche product in an industry to essentially building out an entire suite of products, moving even into adjacent industries? So that was my uh, experience at Intap. And then I moved to Lever. And more recently, I started with True Accord, actually almost a year ago. At that point, what I was really looking for was, again, a company that's going through this growth stage, but I was very much looking for a company that would have a true mission. I had been in previous companies. I had really enjoyed everything I had done, but I was thinking for my next step. I wanted to work for a company 
that had a mission. And of course, this is uh, COVID had started and it really made me think about how can I contribute more, especially to people who are suffering a lot through all this period. I was recruited by True Accord. True Accord is a company that uses artificial intelligence to reinvent debt collection. And when you think about debt collection, it is something that immediately makes people think of an awful situation. And what we want to do is change that so that people who are dealing with debt, and there are millions of people dealing with debt, can have a better experience and a path to financial health. So when I saw the opportunity with True Accord and started learning more what the company was doing and realizing how mission-driven the company is, I realized this was an ideal opportunity for me. Awesome. And I love that mission. And through my process of building Userly, a lot of investors say the best opportunities are the ones that are quote unquote unsexy or are unattractive. And I can see a debt collection. It's something that maybe a lot of people overlook. It might not be top of mind. It might not be that app on your home screen, you know, an Airbnb or a Lyft. But when you think around impact and having an impact on someone else's life, that's certainly something where a lot of people maybe are stuck in that situation and looking for how they can get out and how can we apply technology? So I'm really excited to be digging into you know, how AI is applied at TrueAccord and some of the work that you're doing at the company. And before we jump in, I'd love to hear a little bit as well about your experience as an educator. And I'm just so happy that we're finally starting to see curriculum for product managers in technology. And, you know, product management, a lot of people don't realize it's been around for, you know, 100 years since Procter & Gamble brought in the role, but technology product management, very new. And I think we're still figuring out how to teach product management. So I'm curious how you're you're involved and how you think about that space. Yeah, it's very interesting because when I started my career in product management, there was no teaching. There, There were no books or any type of training for product managers. You sort of learned on the job. And as I said, I was very fortunate that I was in companies like Nuance that had strong disciplines, but things have changed dramatically over the last couple of years. I think as people have realized how critical the role of product management is for technology companies, and as that role has become more clear, there's been more, I would say, of the experience that now has been compiled in books and now even in training. I also see how product management has evolved. When I first started, product management was part of marketing. And in other companies, product management was part of engineering, which was even worse. But over the years, this realization that product management plays this incredible role as the nexus between the technology, the user experience, and the business has given product management a new level. And now, and for many years now, product management is a parallel organization to marketing and to engineering. And even more recently, you're seeing more and more companies actually have chief product officers, which again, I think is another indication of the realization of how important the role is. And with that, again, now comes, fortunately, more resources for people who want to get into product management. I have had the chance to teach product management at Stanford as a guest lecturer. So I had 
two master's degrees from Stanford, I had stayed in touch with some of my professors. And again, they started seeing the interest that many of the students have in finding an opportunity to be product managers. And they realized how valuable it is to bring people who have experience to start teaching. I love teaching. It's something that I find really rewarding. So I've been a guest lecturer at Stanford and a couple of other universities for some time now when essentially going and teaching what I know about product management. But what's interesting is that now several universities are starting to teach full quarter or full semester courses on product management and taking people through the full process, which really helps a lot for those who want to get into product management. Absolutely. And people, you know, the question I always hear is how do you break in? Because it was always some way we all have those unique backgrounds. And I started in product design and you know, you had your master's, but there finally will be a path. It sounds like we're getting really close to having a path from university into starting out as a product manager. That's true. I think, and I personally, because I hire a lot of product managers, I confess that when you're in a relatively small company and the company is growing, you really need product managers that you hire to hit the ground running. It's very hard to take the time to train someone. So in my experience, I typically have been hiring people who already have some experience in product management or people who know the product and the industry so well that I don't need to train them on the product and I can train them on product management. It's hard to train someone on both. But yeah, as students, as people are able to learn more about product management in the discipline, it's going to be easier for them to break in into companies, even the smaller ones that need people to just hit the ground running. Yeah. And already have that training going in. You know, Laura, I was looking through your LinkedIn and I saw a post that you had last year, last summer that I thought was really interesting. And it's titled Transforming Despair into Hope. And you say that debt collection is the area of financial services that most desperately needs transformation. And you mentioned how True Accord is bringing new technologies to really help solve this problem for others. Can you expand on that post and help us elaborate a little bit on that? When you think of debt collection, what comes to your mind? It's this image of despair. And when you think about the way debt collection has typically been done, you think of people calling and harassing those who have a debt. So what True Accord set out to do was to completely reinvent debt collection by, first of all, reaching out to people digitally via primarily email or SMS, and then providing them a great consumer experience for them to be able to set up payment plans that work for them and be able to have the flexibility that if they're going to miss a payment, that they can change the date where the payment is supposed to happen. And essentially helping people through this path of getting to financial health. And the basis is people who are in debt, and there are millions of people in debt, people who are in debt are primarily in debt because something bad happened to them. They lost a job. They had a medical issue that ended up being very expensive. But people want to get out of debt. And the point is, how can you help them? And by helping them, we also help 
the creditors that trust True Accord to collect on their debts. And we have seen that by doing well for the consumers, we're helping our creditors. So the way we use AI is primarily figuring out how to best engage with those consumers. We will send an email letting the person know, hey, you have a debt with this specific creditor. We want to help you settle that debt through the path that works best for you. And what we find is that different people tend to respond differently to messages. So we actually use AI to identify in every step of the way what kind of message, what kind of wording is going to engage the person more, be clearer for them, and help them get to a first step towards resolving their debt. So it becomes a very, very personalized experience for each of the consumers with the goal of helping them every step along the way until they finally are able to resolve the debt. Amazing. And I love how we're applying technology here to solve that problem. And what I'm hearing from you is that there's this very manual process where someone is being harassed over the phone and previously, or from in many cases, it's a scenario of you need to pay this money tomorrow and you know here's the link and, and pay us now. But that's probably not the best way for the company to get their debts paid. And so it's how can we actually use technology to set this person up for success? And when we get into leadership a little, maybe a little bit later, setting others up for success is so important. And it sounds like you're using technology and AI to really set that individual up for success to pay off the debt. I'm curious, what are some of the signals? Help me understand some of the signals that the AI is looking for. Is it perhaps how many times they open the email or you know how they're kind of interacting with the email? Is that a signal? Absolutely. Primarily what we're using is sort of the behavior to understand in each step, what is the best next message or the best next action to take for that specific consumer versus based on what they've done before. For example, we have hundreds of different versions of the same message. We have, as part of my group, we have an entire content team that essentially has created versions of each email that we send slightly different versions with potentially different subjects, because we know that things resonate differently with different people. So those are the things that AI is helping us really optimize so that for each individual consumer, everything we're doing is optimized for what's most convenient to them. Amazing. And so it optimizes on the the eventual outcome and the conversion, the time to pay back the total debt. Right. Amazing. Well, I'd love to jump in a little bit about how you're pulling in the in this case, the end user into that process. And so are you purely looking at behavioral data or how are you really looking at other maybe human factors into what might work about the product or not work? Yes, so we definitely do a lot of tracking of the results that we're getting, but we actually have a user research team and we do different types of user research. We definitely do interviews with some of our consumers. We want to understand their context. We want to understand their motivations. What are they thinking when they're deciding if they're able to pay a debt or not? What are the other things that we might do 
to help them if they are not yet ready to pay their debt. So we have user research where we actually reach out and interview consumers. We also do user research for validating design. So we've been optimizing, for example, the page where the person can set up their payment plan. We want to make sure that they see the options clearly, that they are encouraged to set up the payment plan. So we've done redesigns of that page and we go and we validate with user testing what kind of what is clearer for the different users. We do that even with our emails. When we send an email to a person for the first time, what is the information that's most important for them to see so that they understand what this is about? And we also run through A-B tests. We do actual user testing with people giving feedback on this version was clearer than this version. So we're constantly trying to get the understanding. And in terms of the AI, we definitely run experiments. We run experiments for example, to see, is it helpful to people to send them two reminders prior to their next payment due? Is one enough? So we've done that type of experimentation and we have a control group and we have a treatment group and we start seeing what are the results in terms of people staying with their payment plans. We've tested what the wording of those reminders, we've now, now are giving reminders after the reminder, when the person gets the payment done, we send them a confirmation email that is also sort of a congratulation. You're making progress. We're showing them how far they are from completing the payment of the debt. And that also is producing great results, but we look at that as an experiment. And in terms of the sequencing, do you often use the, the user validation, the user insights to really drive the content in the screens? And then do you test it? I'm curious what that order looks like for you. So it's interesting because I'm, I'm talking primarily of one of our main products on the debt collection side, but we actually have other products to help that same group of people who are trying to get to financial health. So we have another product that allows people who have debts to find out more about other debts that they may not be paying through the true accord payment. So as we launch new services there, we have been doing research all across from the early discovery. We had a concept that we thought was going to be valuable. Well, we did user research to first of all validate that there was interest in that value proposition. When we did that, we also found that people, while they were interested, the type of messaging we we're using to explain what it was, wasn't clear enough. So that really helped a lot in the design and the ideation of what the product would look like. And then during that process, we also went back and validated the actual design. Is this, if the person gets this offer, are they going to understand where are their concerns? We iterated on that. And right before launching, we did another user testing to really validate the whole flow and the onboarding. So what that resulted in a much more successful pilot launch than we would have had had we not had all of this input. Interesting. Okay. And I'm curious, I've never worked with this user group of people who are in debt. Do you find that maybe because they're in that situation, have you seen any differences in their interest to participate in user tests or user validation than maybe when you were at Lever, where it was someone who was, they chose the tool, they wanted to be there, they, that was a journey and path that was really at their own volition? 
It is interesting because that is something that people are not necessarily interested in talking about. In many ways, sometimes people who are in debt feels almost like shame, even though there's so many people who are in debt. And as I said, most cases is because people had something happen to them that prevented them from really keeping up with their bills. But in general, and especially because the experience that our consumers have when they're going with through a court is very positive, when we reach out to them and say, we would like to get your input, we would like to talk to you, we get a lot of responses. We also reach out to people who are not currently our consumers, but where we can select a set of people and we say, we want someone who has had debt in collection recently, and we're able to get representative people for it. So we haven't really had too difficult time finding people willing to work with us. And as I said, there are a lot of people in debt. Yes, it's definitely a large group. And that's great to hear that, yeah, they're willing to participate. They want to help improve the service. They want to help improve the product. And I love how you mentioned that you're introducing delight throughout the process. Is that something that you've experimented with? And was that in your user, did that come through in your user insights? Or is that something that your team thought, hey, how can we maybe make this a positive experience that you know has historically been purely negative experience? Yes, I, but my team is great. Again, I have a team with product managers, designers, user researchers, the content team. So yeah, the team came up with the idea of, okay, these people have made an effort to now get into a payment plan. They are trying to get out of debt. How do we encourage them? I, I'm a big believer in positive reinforcement, right? And you know that every time a person is putting some money against their debt, they are making that effort. Well, they should be they should feel proud that they are making that progress. So that was one of the ideas. How we do we start kind of giving them positive reinforcement that you're doing something good, you're, you're moving more towards your financial health. So yeah, the, the team has great ideas. Amazing. Well, let's shift to your team. I'm curious, what roles is your product team made of? I have a large group of product managers because we have multiple products and we have products that are very complex. So our biggest product is a B2B2C product. We have creditors who are our clients and they have a lot of needs that we need to be addressing. So I have a team that's very focused on that piece. Of course, we have our consumers, we have our AI component. We also have as part of our service, we have a call center because our consumers, if they're confused, they will call into our call center inbound to understand. And that team needs to know what's happening with the consumer. So we have them also as users of our product. So I have product managers that own different areas of that complex product and product managers owning our other products that are in the B2C space. And I have a large group of designers. I believe that it's so, so important to have strong design because at the end of the day, you really need to make sure that your users are successful when using the product. So we have designers and again, recently we added the user research person and it's been fabulous. The amount of knowledge you can get just by really doing some more user research and it's a combination of things, user testing, it's interviews, it's wonderful. And again, this content team, and typically you don't think of content as being part of product because in most companies, content is the marketing team, but not in our case. Content is the content that we're serving 
to our consumers when we're reaching out to them, whether we're sending in them an SMS or an email to let them know that they have a debt, to remind them that they have a payment due. That is content that we really need to be creating very carefully. It's also very regulated, that collection is very regulated. So we need to make sure that we have a team that's looking at the content that we're creating and that they're creating the variations that are gonna be most engaging. So that's, that's pretty much the structure of the team. I also have a person in product operations Highly, highly recommend if you are in product to have somebody in product operations because it's made our work with the squads in engineering a lot more efficient. It increases the efficiency of the entire product organization and the engineering organization. Amazing. Super interesting. And yeah, product operations, certainly an emerging role right now. I'm seeing a lot of job posts go up. There's a lot of interest. There's new platforms for product ops. Really seeing this culture being built out so that product management doesn't have to actually think around how the team functions, which is also so important and at scale, probably beyond what you as a leader could even as well. I'm curious, I imagine in the, the role of a product manager at TrueRecord must require much deeper empathy than most companies. And you really need to get into that person's thoughts, their feelings, what they're going through in that process. Do you find yourself hiring for customer centricity for product managers, or is that something that you really feel like you need to instill once you're on your team or both? Well, the advantage I have is that True Accord as a company is very mission-driven. Everybody in the company believes in the mission and everybody in the company has very deep empathy for our consumers, for our clients. So when we bring in candidates, First of all, people who are attracted to working with True Accord primarily are attracted because they see the mission. So in general, by definition, I get people who are very empathetic. And as part of the company culture, we have this core value of empathy. So when new people come on board, we definitely are testing for that. But as they come on board, they see that. They see that exemplified by the way the whole company operates. So that makes it a lot easier for everybody to be aligned on, yes, we are at the core, very much empathetic with our consumers and our clients. Yeah, I love that. And empathy is one of our five values at UserLeap. We are in the research space. And so, you know, our we need to instill that ourselves. We need to really talk to our customers. We need to learn from our customers. We're running microsurveys with our customers on all the main screens, seeing what they think about the product at all times. We certainly look for empathy. We just hired our first product manager a few weeks ago, Rachel. And so when I was looking for someone who can deeply understand the customers, you know, she was someone that really exemplified that, which is really important for us. And it's great to hear that at TrueRecord, that's also one of the core values. And it's often something for me that you hear a lot of people talk about talking to your customers but I don't really see it enough. And I think that's something that as product management, I think we often fall onto maybe our own intuition too often. I know I sometimes will do that. And so if there's a takeaway or one way to really kind of nudge folks listening right now, it's really, if you think you talk to your customers a lot, just take one extra step, you know, reach out to them a little bit more to see what they think. Cause I know every time I talk to our customers, I learn something new that I didn't know. And so there's always those blind spots that are really helpful to understand. So I'm curious 
for your team, how are you really staying on top of you know what's working and not working for your customers? Is there a North Star? Do you use MPS or maybe a different type of metric to really see, are we making progress with our product this year? That's an interesting question. It's a difficult one because again, we have B2B2C. So we do have different and we have many internal customers. And this is actually to the point you were making about product management, talking to their customers. You also need to understand when you have internal customers and make sure that you are talking with them enough. At the end of the day, our goal is measured in terms of how much we're able to resolve debt. So in terms of the liquidation, and also we watch our consumer feedback very closely. We do get a lot. We have Google reviews. People go and post with their experience, but also every time that somebody talks to the call center and they provide feedback or they complain, we get reports on that on a daily basis and receive people are complaining because of something. Or what is nice is we get a lot of fives in terms of five stars for the consumers who are working with us. We also get a lot of feedback from our clients through our client success team. And of course, they are looking to us to make sure that we are being very exact with the way we're interacting with them, that we're, of course, being compliant with all of the regulations, that we are meeting our SLAs in terms of providing back the information to them. So it's, of course, they are looking at slightly different things, even though at the end, our clients also understand that the success of the consumers means more success to them. So we have, by areas of the product, let's say different metrics, we do use OKRs, but I would say that at the end of the day, our success is measured on the success of consumers who want to pay back their debts and get into financial health, seeing more and more of that. Yeah, that, no, that makes total sense. You mentioned too, in the emails, there's that feedback loop where those customers can provide feedback on the emails and maybe how your product is communicating with them. What does that feedback loop look like to then maybe empower your product team to make better decisions? Some of the feedback actually goes back to our call center agents because we do, again, while we are reaching out via digital and 96% of all the resolution happens without ever talking to an agent, 96% of the people that we reach out to and end up resolving their debt do it all digitally without needing to talk to an agent. But when they are confused or when they have something that doesn't work, that's where they reach out to the call center, either via sending an email or calling them. So we get a lot of feedback from what the call center is getting. So that's part of it. Of course, we're also tracking if people get stuck somewhere on the website when they're trying to set up a payment plan, make a payment, we can see if they had issues. But in terms of actual feedback, a lot is coming directly through the emails or the calls that the call center gets. And as I said, in most cases, it's pretty positive. People maybe get confused about something. The call center agents can help them resolve it. And in general, it's pretty positive. But if they get confused about something, we want to know how we can improve that. Got it. And so that the VOC data then makes it back to the product team. And then that's... Yes, absolutely. Synthesized. And then that's that input on the voice of the customer. Amazing. And, you know, lastly here, as we kind of wrap up in the last chapter, I'm curious about your perspective of the product manager role. You know, there's a lot of debates and it's been very fluid. 
I've heard some folks describe it as, you know, a CEO of the product, but lately I've been hearing more of an editor. Some people say that it's enabler. And so I'm curious your thoughts. Is it all three of those? Do you have a unique perspective? What's your perspective, Laura? The CEO of the product has been a very typical way to describe it. And I have a bit of issues with that. There's some truth to that, but it's not exactly right. I Somebody described it as an orchestra director. And in many ways, I think that that is a better description because the product manager cannot force engineering to do something. The product manager really has to influence and guide the team to deliver the right product. And from that perspective, I think that it's really more the description of an orchestra director that's trying to direct not just the engineering team, but also the other cross-functional teams to align behind this product and to deliver something that actually is solving the solution for the market. Now, there's another component about product management. And I, when I teach at Stanford, I tell people like, yeah, there's this idea that you're the CEO of the product. But the same way you are the janitor, because there is a reality that anything that's falling through the cracks has to be that the product manager has to figure it out. So it's not this fancy idea that you are there ideating and defining everything. You as a product manager have to be watching for anything that's falling through the cracks. So I would say it is really this nexus between the technology, the users, the business, and playing that role can be challenging. And it's very different from company to company and from role to role. A product manager in Facebook or Google will own a very small piece and they need to optimize for that. A product manager in a startup or a growing company will probably own a much bigger piece of a product or potentially an entire product. And that means different experiences and different responsibilities. So there are some basic things that are common across the product management role. And there are some things that start being very different depending on the scope that that product manager has. There are big differences if you are in B2B enterprise than if you're in B2C. So I think that it's when people try to generalize too much about product management, it can get a little bit dangerous, but at the core is really this nexus. And the description of kind of orchestrating efforts from different groups to bring something successful to the market is probably the better one. Yeah. I love that analogy of the orchestra and really that conductor and thinking through how it all works together in harmony. And one area I've been looking to understand is when something goes wrong, maybe the violinist is out of tune or you don't have that perfect harmony because some people will say that maybe you go to the violinist, maybe it's, you know, engineering or maybe it's marketing or do you really hold all the accountability for the product manager, even if she might not actually be formally responsible for maybe that orchestra? And so I'm curious, how do you see that relationship when maybe everything's going well, okay, it's great, but maybe we have a product that's underperforming, maybe it's a technical issue, maybe it's not. Who do you really hold accountable in those situations? So I believe that succeeding and failing is team related. And I, I always say that, especially product and engineering, succeed together or fail together. So finger pointing 
when you see a product organization and an engineering organization is and there's finger pointing between them, there's something already broken there. So I think that before saying, okay, who's accountable? And, and product management has a lot of responsibility in terms of making sure that they are prioritizing the right things. But product management is not making decisions in isolation. Product management is getting a lot of input from the business, a lot of input from marketing, and they are getting input from engineering as well as to how to prioritize. So what I would say is that the team is responsible for success. And if there's no success, the failure probably has many components. The product manager needs to be looking and understanding what went wrong and getting deeper to, because the whole point is you need to learn. And one of the things that a lot of things don't work. And if you're experimenting, some experiments will not work. And that's not failure. That's learning. Failure is if you go invest a huge amount of money, launch something, and it completely fails. That's not going to happen very likely if you are iterating and you're learning. So what I would say is that when something doesn't go as planned, instead of saying who's accountable, whose fault it is, you step back and say, what were we trying to do? Why did it fail? What can we learn? And then if you say, okay, it failed because of a failure in either the product manager completely missed something, then what do we need to do about it? But I just think that it is very much how can you learn and how can you try things so that you're not making big, big mistakes. I love that. I grew up playing team sports. It reminds me of our hockey game, the ice hockey team. We won, we lost. I also did swim team. I won, I got second. I got a little bit different. What I'm hearing from you is this, it's a team sport. The team wins, the team loses. It's not really anyone's fault. You're going to take home the, the win or you're going to take home the loss. Or you're not going to get too specific on maybe who didn't make that final shot. You do want to get deep enough to understand because if there's an area of the team that's not working well, you want to address it. And if you say, well, it's nobody's fault or it's everybody's fault, you may not be learning enough. But what I would say is the point is less about saying whose fault it is and more about saying, if we find exactly where the issue was, how can we address that? Yeah. Looking at the process and then yes. maybe the process was correct. Right. And maybe there's an individual or a performance issue. If you find that there is a performance issue, you need to address that. And as a leader, that's a tough thing to do, but you need to do because if you have people who are definitely not performing, they impact the rest of your team. Somebody else is having to do extra work to compensate or the whole team is prevented from being successful because there's one piece that's not working. And that has to be addressed for sure. Yes, totally agree. And wrapping up here, what's your top piece of advice for other product managers who want to create products people love? I think that it's just very important to listen. And I confess that sometimes I realize I'm not as good. I'm very opinionated and listening and listening to your engineering team, listening to your stakeholders internally, listening to your customers and to your clients, and as much as possible, listening to the market is probably the most important thing that you can do. I want to touch on the listening to engineering. There are some companies that feel that 
product figures out what needs to get done and they go and tell engineering, go do this. That's a big mistake and it's a waste of very smart people providing very valuable input. Sometimes the engineers, because they know what the technology is capable of, are able to provide great ideas as well. So I would say listening is probably the most important thing that you want to do as a product manager. I love that. And the product manager that we just hired who started a few weeks ago, she was actually on the debate team in university. And I feel like that was such an interesting, you know, really kind of foundation for a product manager because the goal of the debate is, I guess in, in the university, maybe it's to win the debate, but the goal of debating is really to understand the other person's perspective. That's how I see it. And really have that empathy of what the other, you first want to understand what the other person's saying. That's really, really the core of a discussion and building a great product requires a lot of difficult conversations. And I remember at Weebly, there were a lot of many, many difficult conversations, but I really broke it down to, you know, positive conflict or maybe positive kind of dissonance. And then there is negative dissonance. And let's really make sure that we're focused on having productive, healthy discussions and debates about how the product should work and all the different decisions to make a great product. And for that to happen, it does require that empathy. You know, you mentioned listening to your engineers and really making those trade-offs. If you don't have that empathy, you don't have that understanding, you're not listening, then you're, you're going to end up with a negative dissonance, that negative debate. And that's where it gets really unhealthy building a product. Product managers tend to be type A people because you have to be a bit of an extrovert. You're talking to a lot of people, which is great. But, and I say that because I know myself, sometimes type A people are not the best listeners. So I think that this is my recommendation is be very aware if you need to be listening more because it's going to make you so much more effective. I love that. And I am an introvert. So I'm on the, on the other side. I have managed to get this far, <laughs> but it totally makes it easier to listen when I would prefer just to listen. <laughs> totally agree though, is that, you know, certainly the extroverted folks, a little bit easier. You're in the meetings quite often, meeting with other folks, marketing and communicating. Laura, really great to have you on the podcast today and hear about your background and the mission really resonated for True Accord, and it was really great to hear about the impact that you're having, your team is having, your company is having. Is there anywhere we can find you online if we wanted to read some of your articles or maybe follow your journey? I have some of my articles in LinkedIn. That's probably the place that I would say is where I have been putting some of the stuff that, that I've done. I connect with a lot of people via LinkedIn, so that's probably the best place to find me. Awesome. Medium and LinkedIn. And for the lucky folks who can listen to you lecture at Stanford, I would love to sit in on one of your classes someday. So Laura, thank you again so much for joining and looking forward to hearing everyone else's feedback about today's discussion. Thank you so much. So happy to have been able to participate in this conversation and feel honored to have been invited. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to request a guest or ask a question, email me at ryan at And if you need a tool that helps you get customer insights easier, faster, and more accurately, check out UserLeap. After my time managing products at other companies, I wanted a simpler way to do customer research, obtain insights, and use those insights to make the right product decisions. 
that's why I founded UserLeap. Our microsurveys help you get in-depth user insights in real time, understand the why behind your data, and ultimately ship the right thing for your customers. UserLeap is used by product managers at companies like Square, Adobe, and Dropbox, and it's super simple to get started. Try it free or learn more at userleap.com.